Welcome to the Infrastructure Show. I'm your host, Professor Joseph Schofer of Northwestern University. The Infrastructure Show is designed to present to listeners the reality of America's infrastructure, its condition, why it is the way it is, and what can be done about it. We gratefully acknowledge contributions to sustain the Infrastructure Show from Dr. Robert Peskin, Dr. Raymond Ellis, and Andrea and Ron DeFeo. Merchant's Bridge, a rail bridge over the Mississippi River at St. Louis, was built in 1889, and it's the oldest remaining rail structure over that river. The bridge required reconstruction to meet current standards, and a major rebuilding project was begun in 2018. Here to talk to us today about this large project is Dan Sieve, who is Senior Project Manager for Walsh Construction, the company that's in charge of this project. Dan, thanks a lot for spending some time with us this morning. You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, first, tell us about the bridge itself. What traffic does it carry, and what's the design of the original bridge? The original design was uh, a truss bridge, too. It was a, uh, a structured design, as many of them on the, on the Mississippi River, but it was a, what we call an uh, uh, eye-bone and uh, mostly a tension bridge. So it was kind of underrated. Uh, pretty quick after it was designed, but it was a big truss bridge with a span of about 520 foot per span, and uh, it was a twin twin structure, twin track. Um, so it carried it carried loads. Shortly after it was built, they actually uh, revised it to increase the stringer uh, capacity on it a little bit because they were finding the trains were were exceeding the limitations pretty quick, and it's had a few other upgrades over the years, but. Uh, that, in a nutshell, is what they had there. How many spans is it across? Three spans. Three? Three spans, 520 feet. And who owns it now? Uh, it's owned by the Terminal Railroad Association of St. Louis. Um, they're, they're located in both uh, St. Louis and in Madison, uh, Illinois. And what, what railroads use it? Well, they're a short-line railroad that's actually owned by several of the larger firms. Mm. BNSF, uh, uh, who else is on there? UP. I can't remember the other two. So it's a jo- it's a jointly owned short line that's that's uh, getting access to to the terminal in St. Louis. Who's paying the bill on this project? It's actually TRA right now. They uh, they're footing the whole bill. It's a uh, it's not a public public entity or anything like that. They're actually trying to get a uh, a loan through the FHA to uh, to at least take part of it they actually got a loan themselves to build it and it's probably in the, in the realm with engineering and everything over 200 million dollars and uh, so they're borrowing the money at least for now so what's the status of the project today the status right now is we've got two of the spans up switched out um, we're, we're assembling the third span on barges right now uh, with the plan to, to the middle of august of this year 2022 we're going to actually replace the last span on the uh, Missouri Riverside. So are you replacing it in, in kind? Is that is basically with the same uh, overall design? No, it's actually it's actually a truss bridge, so it's a, it's a quite a bit heavier. The old structure weighed in at about 3.5 million, 4 million pounds per span, and the new span actually weighs in at about 9 million pounds per span. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's quite a bit bigger, quite a bit stouter. It's uh, a little bit wider. What they're doing is actually... They wanted to get the, the, the track with that was actually 12 feet apart on the original span. And common standards right now is about 15, 
feet between center lines of track so it allows the bigger trains to pass each other and have a little bit extra space in between in case there's something uh, that makes them a little bit bigger than they should be for their clearance envelope. So they're getting everything they can out of this one, John. It's, uh, so load carrying capacity is substantially increased? Oh, yes, substantially. This is this will get them into the next 100 years, they believe. It's it's good for the, uh, for the recent uh, largest locomotive loading you can put on a bridge right now. And has that changed substantially over the years? Oh, since since 1890? Oh, substantially. You've got... Uh, I, I wouldn't ask you to take credit for 1890, but let's say nine, for, for the last 50 or 100 years, maybe. No, the, I'd say the, the locomotives are, are actually might even be a little bit lighter right now than they were, say, 40 or 50 years mm-hmm. ago, you know, increasing their, their capacity. But it's the, big thing, the biggest thing is that they load these with is you may see six or seven locomotives uh, crossing the bridge to pull a train, and that's the heaviest load you'll probably see. It isn't so much the load of the of the, the train itself, but the locomotives pulling it. So they have to design it for for that. So so you're and, you're. Go, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I uh, said so the Trans Systems designed it uh, similar to some other crossings across the the uh, Mississippi, Kansas, or the pardon me, Mississippi and the Ohio River. Okay, so so similar design. I assume there's some economy in in that, and in, in borrowing or build, building on a design that's already been completed. Yeah, I think I think this design concept's been around for a few years, so it's just a matter of making sure they get the this assembly stout enough. So you've removed, or you're removing each of the the original trusses or uh, spans, right. and as a whole, or are you deconstructing them? No, we're actually removing them as a whole. Uh, we had a plan. At bid time, before uh, that we put together to actually lift them up with strand jacks and roll the old structure out on a kind of a gantry system. So at each pier cap, we actually put a uh, about 150 foot long girder that was uh, that was uh, supplied by Mammut. I'm sure many people have heard about them. We uh, we actually came up with the concept ourselves at bid time to use this. And then after the fact, we talked to Mammut because they came in and talked to us about how we're going to remove it. And, and they said, well, we have all that material. So they gave us a price and they ended up getting the job to uh, lift them and move them for us. So it's a big gantry system. They use strand jacks to jack it up at each bearing location. So there's to, uh, to pull the old one out, we need four jacks, one at each corner. We pick it up, slide it over about uh, 40 feet, lower it down to the water level where we place it on barges, and then we actually float it away. And we do we, we install the, the new one in the same manner. We take we assemble it on a barge on barges, um, by all 520 foot of it. We bring it up the river. We bring it underneath the gantry and we pick it up the same way. But picking it up because it's so much heavier, we actually have to use two jacks at each corner to pick the to pick the. So we have a total of eight jacks to uh, to pick the structure up with. And and sideways and lower down on the on the new piers. Once you got it on the barge, does it fit under the other bridges that it needs to pass? Well, that was just it. There's there's just downstream of it. There's the McKinley Bridge, which is a highway bridge, and upstream of it, there really was no place to do it just because of the uh, of the uh, traffic. Just upstream, there was a lock and dam, and then low water uh, for us to do it. So actually, we had to build it just downstream, about a half a mile to the south between. Uh, the Merchants Bridge and the McKinley Bridge, because it would not pass under any bridges. So we assembled it right there on site, trucked it in. All the material came from Veritas Steel out of uh, Wisconsin. Uh, they trucked that in, and we assembled it off of a 
a uh, trestle that we built into the river uh, with using our cranes on the water. And then that goes back and, and is, is put in place. Right. And what happens oh, to... Good job, though. We ended up having to take it out, take it, disassemble it off the barges. So there was a pretty... Uh, Genesis Engineering out of Kansas City did a pretty good job of putting together a disassembly plan for us so we didn't have any issues with anything uh, coming apart the way we would want it to. So in moving the, the spans, move out the old one, move in, in the new one, is there a structural analysis task that's involved in that to make sure that the bridge can hold up un, under the move because uh, the loads are different than it would be in normal use? Yes. There's two things. We actually did a similar bridge to this, but it's only about a 250-foot span about 10 years ago in Burlington, Iowa, where we actually came in under the bridge and picked it up at the third points or, say, the quarter points and with barges. And so we had to strengthen that bridge. But this bridge being so much bigger at, at, almost, at over twice that distance, 500 feet, we didn't feel comfortable picking up the old span because it was a tension bridge. So everything everything outside of where you're picking it would actually change from a tension to a compression. So we decided the best thing to do was, was pick it up from the ends. And that's where we came up with the, with the strand jack concept to pick the old one out, which was probably the more critical one. The bridge itself, the new one that came in, it was designed to actually pick up on barges from, uh, I want to say, say the second or third, uh, uh, connection point at the bottom on the bottom cord. So it, it was designed to pick it up. Well, we changed that to picking it up from the end. So we had to design a new picking device that actually secures onto the gusset plates at the end of the bridge and bolts on. And it gets a, about a, say, a, I think it's a 12 inch diameter pin that goes through this. So there's eight pins at each corner and picking through a plate that we attach to the gusset plate at the end of the bridge. So, yes, it, it takes quite a bit of design. With the lifting, they had their own uh, engineering feats that they had to go through to make up something that would pick up 9 million pounds and slide it sideways. Um, we picked up girders uh, for that operation. At each pier, we actually had to pick up girders that weighed 300,000 pounds apiece and two of each at each pier cap. So we had 600,000 pounds of girders just to act as a gantry at each pier. So putting them into place is a feed itself and took some engineering to uh, design it, making sure that we had the capacity on the cranes. Uh, We had to do foundation capacity. We had to put in uh, drilled shafts to support it. We also had to put some of the, one of the end of the gantries actually supported on the existing pier. Uh, The existing piers were actually, it was a masonry pier and they, the, uh, TRA had them encapsulated in concrete, about three feet of concrete. So we had to put uh, a temporary loading point on the upstream side of the bridge that's for our gantry system. So we actually had to strengthen their encapsulation to support installing the bridge there too. So there's quite a bit of engineering design that went in. So the original piers are in there someplace, but they've been strengthened. Yep. Yep. We kept the old masonry. Uh, we went in and, and they drilled... Uh, drilled dowels into the old masonry, and then we just reinforced concrete uh, encapsulation around that, about three feet on the sides and probably about six to eight on the ends and made the pier cap longer so it could receive a, a, the wider structure that we're putting in there. So basically you put a reinforced concrete encapsulation around the old pier, it sounds like. Exactly. 
And you're working in the New Madrid seismic zone. Did that affect the design or, or the operation at all? Well, they had they had they actually had two concepts. One was uh, one was for a lesser seismic foundation design for the piers, and the other was for a, a, a higher strength encapsulation, where which required some drilled shafts and. After the bid, we gave them the concepts of the two, and it was determined that they could they would suffice with the uh, with the lesser seismic. The bridge itself has uh, has uh, uh, bearings that take up some of the seismic in it too for the the movement of the bridge, which isn't a whole lot. It's uh, the bridge. I think I think the whole overall it'll move about three inches anywhere anywhere from dead center at uh, the sixty eight degrees that we have to set it to. And uh, the the bearings are they roller bearings or sliding bearings? No, it's actually uh, it's uh, I'm, I'm at a loss for words here, but it's a it's a bearing that actually moves. It can move in uh, different in all all directions, but it's mainly uh, uh, elastomeric. Elastomeric. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll tell you what, I can I can find that. Uh, no, no, I understand that. The 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 I've seen that that design. So what happens to the old structure? Is, is it scrapped? The old structure, in the most part, is scrap. Yes, they uh, they are. We are salvaging it. There's a local artist. He actually is a professor at Washington University, WashU, here in St. Louis, that is taking part of it. He's building a uh, memorial, I guess you want to call it, that they're going to place near the uh, near the site. So he's actually saving a little bit, but for the most part, it's it's getting uh, scrapped. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and what's your timeline? When's it going to be open? It should be done. Like I said, the last span is going in uh, in the middle of August. We'll have it in place. We still have to put rail across it. All the rail on the approaches is is getting completed right now. We have to. Have, we hope to have that in place prior to the last span going in, and then it's just pretty much completing the last two stretches of track across that span. And then uh, shortly after that, we'll open up the traffic. I'd say. Sometime in September, at the latest, hopefully we're going to have it done and and open it to traffic in both directions. And that's a it's a it's, we actually had it down to one track, so it was a it was a, a kind of a hindrance to the rail community because we had it down to one track to build the, the structure. But now we'll be back open again after about three years being closed. So, so what, get it done. What, was there any period? Was there a substantial period of time when it was um, totally closed to rail traffic? Well, we get we get five hour windows each day that we work out there, so we're usually working six days a week, and uh, so we get an average. Sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less, where we get to work out there un- unobstructed for the work at the bridge, which is was mostly installing the coffer dams um, and building the encasement on the structures, and then to replace the bridge, the TRA actually gives us a ten day rail outage to replace the each span. So in that ten day rail outage, we have to coordinate with the U.S. Uh, Coast Guard to close the uh, the uh, spans underneath there, the waterway underneath the bridge that we're working in uh, for a 24-hour period because that's the only amount of period, that's the only amount of time that the Coast Guard will allow you to close a, uh, a channel. So we actually, to close the primary channel, we had two 24-hour windows to take the old one out and put the new one in. So what we did is in the, we scheduled about an eight-day closure we figured we could get it done a little bit quicker than the 10 days. So what we did is we took the old one out on uh, on day 
two, we had to put we had to pour some new uh, bearing pads and get strength on those. So the second day we took the the structure out, and on the fifth day of the closure we put the new structure in and another twenty four hour river closure. So and we turned it both of these back in. The two so far we were able to get done in less than eight days. So it was they were pretty happy to get that to get it back back in service. Pretty pretty a tight timing and impressive scheduling to get that done. Really interesting project. I hope we get down and, be, and see it sometime in, in the fall. Dan, thanks a lot for sharing this with us. I really appreciate the time you spent with us. Thank you. Quite welcome. Thanks for listening to The Infrastructure Show. If you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did, please subscribe to our podcast and encourage your friends to join us too. The Infrastructure Show is recorded at the Studio Media Recording Company in Evanston, Illinois, under the direction of Scott Steinman, recording engineer with a commitment to great sound. Our producer is Marion Sowers, a journalist with a passion for infrastructure. And I am Professor Joseph Schofer. Few people are more curious about infrastructure than I. <laughs>